Hello, and welcome to the Emma's for Mama podcast. I'm your host, Abby Halberstadt, happy wife, mama to 10, Bible-believing Christian. And on today's show, I want to talk about something that has crossed the mind of maybe every human being on the planet, but especially, I think, mamas, and that is comparison. Looking at what other people do, seeing that they look like they're doing such a better job than we are, or sometimes on the flip side, thinking that they're not doing as well as we are, and then either feeling terrible about ourselves or superior as a result. I've mentioned this in several other podcasts, so you're going to hear some repeat concepts, but I want to delve a little bit deeper into what scripture has to say about comparison, what it has to say about whose we are, and what that means. And so as we're kind of setting the stage for this concept, I want to read my theme verse for this podcast to you today. Sometimes you see sermons that have theme verses, and we're going with this. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. I know that was a lot of themselves and one another's. So I'm going to read that second part of the verse again. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. Now, there's a very specific context for this verse that is very different than just general comparison, very different than the kind of comparison that we often engage in as moms. But I do think that the principle there is still really solid. So even though Paul was speaking to these people that were just really full of themselves and they were uh, belittling his preaching and his teaching, saying that he's big and bold in his letters, but he's going to be really meek and nothing in person. And he was having to make a case for the fact that he was the same person in his letters and in real life and that his word had authority because God had given it authority. So again, the conduct is a little different, but I think that when they compare themselves with themselves and they compare themselves to themselves, they are not wise is what another translation says, or they are without understanding can definitely be something that we can grasp hold of as moms and say, oh, okay. So if this is a principle of scripture, how does this apply to the way that I have a tendency to keep an eye on everything my next door neighbor does and measure my own performance, my own abilities, my own outcomes, my own version of success right next to what it is that she's doing? Now, there's going to be some different factors that I want to touch on as we talk about the different aspects of comparison, because even though Teddy Roosevelt said that comparison is the thief of joy, and I mostly agree, I do think that comparison has a place within all walks of life, but particularly motherhood that we're addressing today, because there are times when we are just trucking through life completely content with what we're doing because we have the blinders on and we aren't even paying attention to anybody else and We're not looking for mentors. We're not looking for input. We're not looking for wisdom. And we know if we even spend five minutes in Proverbs that we are supposed to be seeking out people who have discernment, who have understanding, who have wisdom and prudence to have them pour into our lives. Now, there's a difference between asking someone to give us wisdom between observing what they are doing that is good and right and true and comparing ourselves to them and feeling like we fall short and then giving up. So the kind of comparison that can possibly be good, and I want to start out with this caveat before I go down the road of it's a bad idea to compare yourself to other people. 
because that can quickly become, you know what, then I'm never going to even look at what anybody else is doing. And I'm going to reject any suggestion that someone else might have something that they're doing that I could glean from. And then we end up stuck in a rut or we end up self-justifying or we can't find a solution because we are only looking inward and we're not seeking wisdom. So none of those are good things. So the kind of comparison that I really encourage you to strive for is not comparing yourself to yourselves, comparing yourself to one another to find out where you measure up, but instead to look around with a teachable heart and keep your eyes focused on those people whose principles and life experience and values mirror those of scripture. And then to say, what can I take away from what they're doing? Is there something that they're doing that I could adapt for my home that would make it a place of more peace? Is there something that they're doing that I could adapt for my daily disciplines that would give me a better start on my day? Is there something that they're doing to connect with their children that I could emulate and do my own twist on that would answer that question of, oh man, what is it that I could do that would give me a better bond with my children? And I I have been blessed in the last 10 years or so with a rich base of women like this that are 15 to 20 years my senior, sometimes 5, 10 years my senior, sometimes my age or a little bit younger that I have gleaned so much goodness from. And so I don't want to discount the fact that when we say all comparison is bad, we might actually end up losing an opportunity to learn something really great that that's a bad thing. So good comparison is the concept of looking around with a desire to learn. Bad comparison is often manifested in an attitude of shame, an attitude of guilt, an attitude of looking for faults, an attitude of nitpicking, an attitude of arrogance or pride, and all of those things well up from a heart of insecurity. And believe me, I can say that with confidence because I have been there. I have several friends from this group that I was mentioning to you that are primarily uh, people that I get to see when I do this group called Grace Girls. It's a homeschool group that I got to start with some fellow homeschool mamas for our girls. Little boys tag along some too, but we do it every other Friday throughout the year and the hosting rotates. And so as we go into different people's homes and I see the incredible activities that they've created for our girls to participate in, and I see how spotless their laundry rooms are as I walk by to their equally clean bathrooms. It would be so easy for me to say, well, my goodness, my messy home that I left as we rushed out the door because we had to grab babies up from naps really quickly to get here on time doesn't even begin to compare to this. And that may be an absolutely true statement and that is okay. But one thing I really want to encourage you to do because I think that it is a pretty universal tendency among women to compare our possessions and to compare our homes and to compare the state of the cleanliness of those things is never to compare their company ready home to your middle of the day mess. Now, if your house is always a mess, you probably need some strategies and some rhythms to help you to get on top of that. And there are gonna be seasons where you're more on top of that than others. And I would suggest to you that sometimes just a few tweaks in your habits where you're consistently flipping laundry twice a day or making sure that you go to bed with the counters wiped down and the dishwasher loaded and on a timer to go so you wake up to a clean sink instead of one full of dishes, that just some simple tweaks like that, while they won't 
magically turn your house into an organized haven of peace if you've got a long ways to go. And again, I've been there and I can speak from experience. They will help. So just as a little aside, when you feel like you're drowning and you are at someone's house that is clearly not drowning, one example of good comparison would be to maybe stop them and ask them if you are in a position where you feel comfortable in that relationship to say, hey, do you have like three quick tips for how you keep house in the season that you're in? And um, then maybe how you would adapt those tips for me in the season that I'm in. If you're in a really especially busy season or a season of newborns or new motherhood, and you're just learning a lot at the same time with little children under your feet. So when I mention these ladies being 10 to 15 years older than I am, some of them have children, my kids ages that are the uh, bottom end of their range and the upper end of mine. So for example, my mentor and one of my dearest friends, Jennifer Flanders has 12 kids and her youngest three are the same ages as my oldest three. I have several other friends, one of whom has a little girl that's about the same age as my um, second to youngest, and then several more that are sprinkled out throughout my ages. So we are in similar stages of life, but several of them have graduated beyond toddlers. And we all know that toddlers are the tornadoes. They're the mess makers. You can clean up your entire living room and five minutes later, it can look like you never touched it because they have come behind you pulling everything out of the book baskets and you've gone to prep dinner and they're in the refrigerator and they've dumped the ketchup on the ground. And it almost feels like, and especially with twins, let me tell you, it almost feels like they can literally make messes much faster, twice, three times as fast as you can clean them up. So if you're in that stage in life, maybe having the humility to, instead of compare and feel despair, go to that more seasoned mom, the mom that's beyond that stage and has the tips and tricks figured out, but remembers what it was like and say, hey, any advice for me? Let me, let me just throw in a quick tip here. As someone that gets DMs and emails and what do you want to know Wednesday questions and comments, asking for dissertations on subjects, it is very intimidating as a busy woman and mama myself to have someone that wants me to write a book for them, which I will say that I have. It's called Emma's for Mama. And a lot of times when people ask me about particular topics, I have whole chapters on them. But if there are issues that I'm addressing in a more kind of micro way, breaking it down to rhythms like we talked about last week or bickering or something else particular that I can give more attention to in a what do you want to know Wednesday question. And yet I still get a DM where someone says, hey, could you break down this concept into kind of a dissertation, an essay? Could you give me a seven point with many subtitles down below explanation of what you mean by this? I think I do not have the ability to do that for each individual person. So as you're asking someone to help you out with tips, I really encourage you to ask them for the highlights, to ask them for like their top three or their number one thing that they do that really helps. So that comparison of homes is such an ingrained thing in our lives. It is so easy to look at someone's company ready home, compare it to our middle of the day mess, compare it to the tornado that just came through while we were getting dinner ready 
and say, this person's home must look like this all the time because it looks like this when they knew company was coming over and they vacuumed and scrubbed their toilets. But we remember that we probably would have done the same thing if we knew that company was coming over. We would have made an effort. And we do make the efforts even when we know company is not coming over and yet sometimes we feel like we're constantly falling short. Right now, I will be completely honest with you and tell you that my downstairs is in between our two cleanup times of the day. And I talked about how we do that in my Rhythms podcast, if you wanna look that up. But we clean after breakfast and after dinner. And it's in between those at the end of our homeschooling day. We just got done homeschooling several minutes ago. And so it doesn't look great at the moment. There are shoes under chairs. There are toys out still. There are some books on the schoolroom table. There's stuff on the dining room table that we'll put away when we do our evening cleanup. And if someone were to walk in and expect my home to be company ready at all time, that would not be who I am. And it's not who most people are. Now, I do have some friends who are that way all the time because it really messes with their brain to have any kind of clutter for longer than five minutes. So they are constantly doing mini cleanups. And if that's you, I applaud you and I congratulate you for staying on top of that. That is amazing. Now, I want to make a comment about the statement that I just made because all too often something that I see happen on the internet more so than in real life because I think that we are a little bolder and I don't mean that as a compliment when we are behind screens and we can't see people's facial expressions when we make comments and we can't see the effect that something negative that we've just said has on them. We just kind of get to release our own tensions and our own frustrations on somebody and then walk away. And that's false. We don't just get to walk away. That should weigh on our hearts that we have hurt someone's feelings or that we've been negative or unkind. But one thing I see very commonly on the internet is a tendency to when we notice that someone is especially good at something and then we compare ourselves and we feel like we've fallen short, we tend to lash out. We tend to, instead of saying, if that's you and you automatically tidy up in these small increments each day and your house stays company ready all the time, that's amazing. Good job. Way to keep up with that. I'm glad God made you that way. Instead, we make passive aggressive comments like, it must be nice to be naturally organized. It must be nice to have such clean spaces in your house all the time. And we forget that either God has given someone that natural inclination for this or quite likely there's a combination of a natural inclination and a lifelong pursuit of discipline and growing in their self-control in that particular area. So that's another thing that I think we need to be careful about comparing because something that I get quite often is people who have two children and they are ages two and four who feel like they are failing miserably because they see someone who has more children who will have older children. They might have a two and a four year old, but they also have older children and they've been doing this motherhood thing longer. And they compare their four years of motherhood to someone's 20 years of motherhood or 10 years of motherhood. And they feel like they are so inferior and they feel so frustrated with themselves and like they will never get there. But I wanna encourage you that not only is that an unfair comparison, it's not something that we would tend to do in most other areas of our lives. I think because we have words like motherhood intuition and gut instinct and the concept that someone's just supposed to be a baby whisperer naturally, I think because those concepts exist, and I'm not saying they are bad things or that they aren't real in some cases, but because we have the pressure of those concepts on us, 
in motherhood, if we don't feel like we're getting it naturally, if it's not coming easily to us, we tend to make the assumption we, when we see someone else thriving or see someone else that's in a place of more ease or more practice or more maturity, that it must have just come easily for them and therefore we are dysfunctional, like we're broken. And it makes us bitter. It makes us feel like, God, why did you just make everything so easy for that girl when I'm over here struggling and drowning with my two and my four-year-old? And I say this because I've gotten almost those exact DMs. In fact, the other day I mentioned on an Instagram post that I have had mothers react, young moms react negatively and with bitterness and with irritation if I am encouraging young moms, hey, I remember what it was like when I had three kids and taking them out to eat felt like an absolute World War III experience and I came home exhausted and cranky and I just wanted them in bed and I thought we are never going out to eat again, that's it. And then if they see me taking out 10 kids with my husband or even by myself and it's not World War III, it's actually an enjoyable experience and sure, somebody dropped their fork on the ground and somebody else spilled a drink, but I had hands to help clean it up and I had the practice to know how to diffuse situations before they blew up. And they say, ah, you know, how can she do that? And it's not necessarily me that they're always comparing themselves to, but I'm using myself as an example because I'm getting these DMs. Um, how, how is she capable of doing that when I'm not? Why is it that she gets this grace that I don't receive? And what I started to say was we don't do this in other areas. And I think we should stop doing it in motherhood. And what I mean by that is this, if we enter a profession, let's say that we start out as a kindergarten teacher and we are entering our first day on the job, it would take a fairly presumptuous personality to assume that they are going to walk in the door and they are going to have all of the experience, maturity, skills, tips, tricks, and everything that they could possibly ever need to be the best kindergarten teacher ever. Quite likely, and I used to be a high school Spanish teacher, high school English teacher, high school ESL teacher, so I know the feeling very much so, probably more likely you're walking into the room slightly terrified, hoping that the couple tips and tricks that you have learned are going to work and that you're going to make it through the day and get home. And when you see a seasoned teacher who is managing her class with ease and has all of these cool activities that she's built up over the years, and she's been doing this for 20 years, we don't say no fair. How come she gets to have all of this wisdom and experience and peace and productivity in her classroom when I'm over here struggling? Instead, we think, okay, okay, so there's hope. If she got there after all these years of experience and learning and trying and failing and trying again, then I can get there too. Take any other profession that comes to your mind. If you're going to be a lawyer, you wouldn't expect to know all of the rules, all of the ways to write contracts, all of the loopholes, all of the special kind of behind the scenes things that go on in court cases. When you're on your first day on the job, you wouldn't expect to have the same level of command, the same level of confidence as someone that has been a lawyer for 15 years. So when we compare ourselves to others in motherhood, again, starting out with that concept of what is good comparison? Why are we doing the comparison? Are we measuring ourselves up so that we will fall short or feel superior? Or are we kind of setting something that isn't working beside what they're doing that is working and saying, oh, I see ways that that overlaps. Okay, that gives me hope. I can do something with that. 
Another funny thing that I see is comparing, I kind of joke, comparing apples to flamingos. <laughs> so if someone who has special needs children and whose husband works a rotating schedule that has, let's say they have a special needs child and another child or a special needs child and two more who are at school and they say, oh, man, I can't seem to stay on top of things the same way that my neighbor does who has four children who don't have special needs and whose husband is home at 530 every single day. That's comparing apples to flamingos to some extent. Maybe not that wild of, uh, of a difference, but you're comparing something that is unique to your circumstances to someone else's very specific circumstances and saying, when those don't match up, I feel frustrated, I feel less than, or I feel more than, depending on how you come out of it. And we have to be careful that we're comparing when we choose to compare in a good way, that we are lining up the aspects of motherhood that are actually um, the same. So we all struggle with patience. That would be a good way to look at someone who's really good at patience and say, what can I learn from that? Not, I'm going to look at this person who doesn't have special needs children and doesn't have the very specific limitations and requirements on my time that I have and then be frustrated or try to do things in the way that she's doing them when I know that my schedule and my husband's schedule won't even allow for that and I'm going to fail and it's going to frustrate me because I'm not doing it, quote, her way when in fact, the Lord has never asked us to do it, quote, her way. He has asked us to be content in all circumstances. That passage where it talks about, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is an interesting one because people use it to mean I can scale mountains. I can make A pluses on my tests. I can make the most amazing dessert in the land because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And while Christ does indeed enable us to do things that are beyond our own strength, what it's actually talking about is being content in every circumstance, whether we are healthy or sick, whether we are poor or wealthy, whether we are in plenty or in want, whether we are really thriving or whether it's in a season where we're barely making it by. Jesus is enough for every single one of those scenarios. And that's what we have to remind ourselves when we start comparing those apples to flamingos of different situations. On a slightly lighter note, I get asked all of the time how in the world I have time to clip my children's fingernails. And if you just giggled a little bit, I always do as well, but it is a common question. I probably get it one to two times a week. And I always think, what a, what a strange thing to worry about until I remember the tendency that people have to overlay their own personal life circumstances onto other people's situations. And what I mean by that is this, I can tell both because I have actually had people tell me this and because it's evident from the way they're thinking about my life versus their life, that when someone pictures me with 10 children, they picture me and, and the whole fingernail clipping issue, for example. Uh, there's a bunch of other questions that I get asked, like, how do you take 10 children to the park? Well, I have an almost 17-year-old who doesn't exactly go on the swings anymore. He doesn't fit on the slides anymore. So when we take park outings, he's not with me. So we're not taking 
all 10 of our kids to the park, for example. But also when I take 10 kids to the park, if we do all go, guess what I have? I have an almost 17 year old, a 15 year old, a 12 year old, two 10 year olds, and an eight year old who are all fairly self-sufficient, who are capable of helping me carry bags, who are capable of helping me make lunch before I leave the house, who are capable of holding a baby while I change another baby's diaper. So that kind of concept of picturing if you have only small children, that I have 10 small children whose fingernails I have to clip or who I have to chase around at the park. I don't have 10 two-year-olds, right? And so, but I, I find often that we tend to take whatever our personal struggle is, and that is the lens through which we compare ourselves to other people's struggles, victories, neutral situations. I mean, fingernail clipping isn't exactly a struggle or a victory, I would say. So I, I really encourage people not only to not compare most of the time, unless they're genuinely looking to learn and glean instead of to get upset and offended, but also to compare rightly, to say, okay, how is my life? Where are the similarities? Where are the overlaps? And then how can I improve? Or if I'm not seeing a way to improve, how can I just be grateful and content in my circumstances? Instead of saying, I'm failing because she has more kids or her house is cleaner or she's better at cooking home cooked meals or she's better at homeschooling or she volunteers more than I do. Now, I will say that if we are feeling conviction to change, the first place we should go is God's word. The first place where we should find standards that are godly and good and stand the test of time are in the pages of his word where he clearly teaches us that we are being changed into his likeness, that we are no longer our own, that we have been bought with a price, that we are loved by a God who has our names graven on his palms. He has our tears in a bottle. He knew who we were before the foundations of the earth were laid. He knew us in the depths before we were ever in our mother's wombs. In other words, he is for us. If we are in Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so we cannot simply wallow in our inadequacies. We absolutely are inadequate, and we will discover that more and more each day as the Lord is faithful to peel away little layers and to make us aware of the ways that we desperately need him. However, he is also faithful to grow us in maturity, to grow us in self-control, to grow us in the fruit of the Spirit, to experience more love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more gentleness, more faithfulness, and more self-control. I really feel like in a society that tells us to never compare, that often there is an undercurrent of, I'm okay, you're okay, don't let anybody ever tell you otherwise. You do you, you're perfect exactly the way that you are, and you are allowed to get upset at, or scream at, or kick against anyone who even mildly implies otherwise, even by their existence. So if you find yourself offended by someone's existence, you really have two options. Either this is either in real life, you know, face-to-face -face circumstances and interactions or online. Um, you have two options. You can either, and I often encourage people to, 
Unfollow someone if they are a source of discontentment for you. The problem may be your own heart instead of theirs, but you may need to step away from the constant reminder that you're struggling with something so that you can spend time in God's word and ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you need to go next and to lead you in the path eternal. Sometimes just hanging around and continuing to kind of lurk and feel irritated and frustrated by this person is not God's will for your life. We don't necessarily need to just keep pushing through our feelings of inadequacy if what we're indeed actually doing is keeping our eyes focused on the thing that's causing us to feel inadequate instead of turning our eyes on Jesus and looking full in his wonderful face. So unfollowing is always an option. In in face-to-face interactions, minimizing your contact with someone for a season who is making you feel inadequate and taking that inadequacy to the Lord while not being unkind to that person is kind of a form of in real life unfollowing. As long as you're not being unkind to that person, I think that that could be a healthy option. One thing that's interesting is that I've often found that people that unfollow me in a season of overwhelm or bitterness or discontentment will come back and then they'll DM me and say, hey, I unfollowed you because I was really frustrated at the fact that X, Y, and Z was bothering me. And the Lord did a work in my heart as I took that to him. And now I can follow you without bitterness and I actually enjoy it again. So I think it's really important not to assume that whatever we're feeling right now will last forever and that it always has to be that way. The second option, of course, when we find ourselves constantly coming up against someone that makes us, quote unquote, makes us, and keep in mind, they can't make us do anything. That feeling that we have, that icky feeling of comparison and frustration and sometimes self-loathing or superiority, that comes out of our own hearts. The Bible says, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so if we are complaining about someone and we are feeling frustrated, we are griping and we are saying things like, I can't believe this. And it's so frustrating to me that she, that that's coming out of our own heart. She's not making us do anything. And we have to be honest about that. So if we are choosing to be honest about that and we don't feel like the Lord is asking us to step away from that situation, I have a very simple suggestion for you. You need to pray for that person. And you need to pray good prayers. You need to pray for yourself too. But you would be amazed. I am amazed. We all should be amazed and yet not. Because the Lord makes it very clear that the prayer of a righteous person is effective. And if we are made righteous, because all of our personal attempts at good deeds and righteousness are like filthy rags. But if we are made righteous by our relationships with Christ, if we have been justified in him, then our prayers are effective We are seeking to follow him. And if we pray for that person, Lord, I pray that you would bless that person with peace in their life. I pray that you would make her ministry even more effective. I pray that that thing that she's already doing really well would be a source of joy and comfort and success to her and her family. If we are willing to pray um, prayers of rejoicing with people, Instead of self-pitying prayers of, Lord, why can't I just? Amazingly enough, the Lord is able to do a work in our lives to make us feel less resentful, to give us a genuine desire to look outside of ourselves and focus on what others are doing well and how we could take on some of those things or ignore them if the Lord asks us to ignore them and just keep going in our own lane. Because sometimes we don't necessarily need to change so much. Sometimes we just need to keep doing the needful thing. 
In other words, if what you're doing doesn't feel like it's working yet, and yet you have a strong conviction that what you're doing is what you should be doing, you may not have seen the fruit of your labor yet, but that doesn't mean it's not quote unquote working. At the very least, your consistency to follow through, to pray for other people, to do the next right thing, to be consistent in your Bible reading, to show up and be kind to your children, even if they are trashing your house faster than you can clean it up and your house never looks like Susie's and it would be so easy to fall into that pit of comparison and despair. If you are consistent to do those things, I promise you the fruit will come in your own heart and that fruit will overflow into how you treat others. And then others will be even more willing to pour into you. And you may find people coming to you that have much cleaner homes than you do. And they are telling you how much they admire your peace and your self-control and how self-possessed you seem and how you seem like you are content in your circumstances. And they are saying, my house is clean all the time, but I don't feel like it's ever enough. And then you could share with them your journey of struggling with comparison, of struggling with falling into that pit and climbing out. Actually, you know what? Being hauled out by the goodness and love and grace of Jesus. And that may be a huge encouragement to them that clean, sparkling floors never can be. I could go on and on about the ways that we fall into this trap as women, but I think the most important thing is to understand that if we are in Christ, we should be cheering on our fellow sisters in Christ. They are not a threat to us. There is no amount of praise that we can throw around that would ever take away from the praise that we have from our Father in heaven as he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in the little things. You will be given much more to be faithful in. And sometimes those things more that he gives us are hard things. And they don't look like our neighbor's things. And they can make us circle back around to that well of life-giving water yet again, which is Jesus' ability to give us contentment in our circumstances. There is hope, even if you are a chronic comparer. There is hope, even if you feel like you're failing and everybody else is succeeding because it's not true. It just simply isn't. Everybody else has their own cross to bear. And even if you can't see it when you visit their home, even if you can't see it when you see their children and the way they're dressed, even if you can't see it when you try their homemade lasagna that's so delicious, I guarantee you that everybody is fighting a hard battle. And as we recognize that the Lord absolutely will give us more than we can handle, and yet he is always there with us, it helps us to realize that we are not threatened by other people's struggles or success. Instead, we have the opportunity to uplift. We have the opportunity to help. We have the opportunity to reach out. We have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to people that seem like they have it all together and to people that are clearly struggling. I hope that you will be encouraged that you have something good to offer. I hope that you will be encouraged that you have not arrived yet and that's a good thing. I hope you will be encouraged that the Lord is not done with you yet, but that he has in no way abandoned you. I wanted to end with Hebrews 13, five, which says, I think it's a really fitting verse because it talks about being content instead of comparing, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And there's nothing that can compare with that. 
If you guys enjoyed today's program, I would be so honored if you would subscribe and share with others. And if you're looking for more daily content on motherhood and biblical responses to cultural issues, you can follow along on Instagram at m.is.for.mama.